Hello there. Everything leading up to this moment has been rehearsal. The real performance is about to begin. I'm counting on it. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, you have now tuned in to the Outer Rim Beacon, your frequency for everything in that galaxy far, far away. From Ubiz to Utai, we've got you covered. And man, do we have a show for you today. My name is Justin. I'm one of your hosts here. Joining me today, as always, are my co-hosts. This is Josh, Josh, but I don't even know my own name here. And um, thank you, Justin, for Fired. going to the next letter in the alphabet. <laughs> no, Did you get you. tired of me being on the T's? <laughs> are, are we going to double U now? Are we going to, or or is it a single U? Or I, I guess we got to wait. I mean, we will so, get to W yeah. eventually. But yeah. Uh, this is Kyle, and I am just happy to be here with you guys, except for before we got on, Justin is showing his Funko Pops, and it's like, the ship has sailed, guys. <laughs> Enough's enough. Let's I'm out of the pop game, if you haven't heard, and I wish you would just stop bringing it up. Pop, pop, pop. <laughs> Funko Pops. Uh, this is Maggie, and I am just so glad that we have finally arrived at this episode. It's been a really long time coming. It sure has. I know, I know. And we'll, we'll, we'll release this in a minute here. We did tease it uh, a couple weeks ago. We teased it on the live show. We it teased, still teased top it in secret. the I don't podcast. even pay attention. <laughs> you know, we, we <laughs> it's, a, it's a good episode. Where I hope, we hope you guys enjoy it. We can't wait to dive into it. Before we get to that, we've got a, a big update here. Uh, Here we go. Celebration. We 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 are down to thirty five weeks. Justin thought it was thirty seven. There's two weeks closer. I did. I think it's because like we were we missed last week. It threw me off a little bit. Uh, the counter got a little bit behind, which was my head. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we are down to thirty five weeks. Works at a Get your tickets. Can't count from thirty seven to thirty five. <laughs> get your tickets get your hotel room get your airfare uh josh oh, we're subject. we're just driving it. josh crazy over here not purchasing airfare What's 35 weeks means that we are nine weeks from uh your embargo on buying our plane tickets <laughs> countdown josh uh, has one of those like uh construction paper chains where he tears one off every day and at the end is a plane <laughs> ticket Actually, it's um, it's little pieces of candy sewn on. Ooh, a piece of candy. Pull one off. Yeah, Ooh, piece of candy. Kind of like an advent calendar nice. of sorts. Very nice. And Maggie is uh, still working on tickets. Uh, nothing new on the light front yet, right? We're, nope. we're still on. waiting on something there. Stop so. reminding me. Uh, Reed Pop, let's go. Get on the ball here. We got to get some tickets to people. Let's go. Tab get, needs get tickets too. And I keep forgetting until we bring Uh-oh. up Maggie needing tickets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm going either way, but I might end up buying Pat Tab a plane ticket that she can't use. <laughs> I mean, she yeah, can I'm, hang uh, out by the pool and... Seems like a waste of a plane ticket. Grab lunch? I don't know. <laughs> she can hang out with Maggie, who also won't have tickets. She can go to the, <laughs> yeah. the gelato stand up the street and... Uh, 
it's uh it was pretty good or the italian ice italian ice well, whatever, whatever Here, was, here's was, what we're gonna good. do if they don't get tickets i'm well what we're gonna um go fund me and get them disney passes and then they that's what they can do while we're kind of oh my god yes Ooh, tab and i can just go ride the rides and you know hang out in galaxy's edge great food there, there too go. see i would be okay with that like just hanging out in galaxy's edge all day Heck yeah. Any other time expensive. other than during celebration, yes, that sounds incredible. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Maggie, I will um, tell you though, uh, Tab does not like villains uh-oh. at all. Well, you know so, what they say? Uh, opposites attract? Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I she doesn't understand why I like Darth Maul and... or, or Thrawn. Neither, neither mm. one of them are pure villains. They're product of their environment. Yeah. I don't think I like him. And then she'll walk out of the room and she goes, Darth Maul sucks! And like flips me off. <laughs> now that <laughs> is just blasphemy. <laughs> Disagree with um, him philosophically well, <laughs> all you want. <laughs> um, I think I think we all agree. Two pretty good villains, though, in the Star Wars universe. Uh, uh, or or maybe not villains. I don't know. Whatever, however you view them. It's, to, it's totally up to you. Um, we did get a little bit of news this week uh, before we dive into uh, our conversation for today. Uh, hats off to The Mandalorian for the what they get 30 Emmy nominations. Is that right? Did I get that right? Or something? Yeah, all of them. Uh, 30 Emmy nominations. They came out winning 14, I believe. Um, prosthetic makeup, music composition for a series. Sound mixing for a comedy drama. I think there was like two different awards for that. Special visual effects, two different awards for that. Stunt coordination, stunt performance, which which is awesome in that Mm -hmm. show. And what we talk about all the time here, cinematography, absolutely beautiful. And musical score, I think, took home two of them. I I may have missed some in there, but there was a lot of awards. Yeah. Yeah. So um, kudos to The Mandalorian for racking up the Emmy nominations. Uh, speaking of the Mandalorian, Disney dropped today that they are going to be having Disney Plus Day on November twelfth. There's a whole bunch of new content coming out uh, that you'll be able to watch. There is a Star Wars special look. That's all it says on the teaser. So mysterious agenda. Yeah, I would assume we get our first look at uh, Book of Boba Fett. Maybe. Yes, that's it, what I. Yeah, that's what we're, I saw we're getting. Yeah. I would. Yeah, we're getting a special about like the life and times of Boba Fett or something. The way they wrapped it up. Yeah, I'm assuming we're getting the trailer that day. So. I, do, do we think they're going to tease any of the other shows they've got going on, like little snippets or something? I think that they, they've if anything, shot? they'll tease what's coming. But I think it's just going to be the Book of Boba Fett. Since that's the next okay. thing that's happening. Yeah. Yeah. So. Be on the lookout for that. Um, and then I think, was it Shang-Chi, actually? We were just talking about this before the show is getting released in November as well. So you'll be able to stream that for free on Disney Plus in early November. So that's pretty cool. Um, and then the last little bit of news and notes, Kyle went on adventure this weekend. Oh, Kyle went over to LexCon. Um, well, this weekend I went to Cincinnati Comic Expo. And last weekend I went to Comic-Con. We haven't even yeah. talked about it since oh, then. Oh, that's true. Um, but I forgot about that. You had two in there. I know. I've been just living my best life out here in the Midwest. <laughs> um, uh, both were great. Lex Lexington. Um, I saw Ashley Eckstein near and dear to my Never heart. Heard of her? Um, she is a fashion designer. Uh, you can look her up. 
and okay, <laughs> um, I was trying to think of like the weirdest way to describe her without Star Wars that is also accurate. She was but on she, That's So Raven. Yeah, yeah. She's uh, she's an author of one book that I know of. Um, but I saw her. I got a photo op, which was great. Um, that was the first time I've ever had a professional photo op with her. I We've actually, done a couple. Ooh, got a photo op with her at Lexicon too. Yeah, I uh, I still haven't gotten your half of that because it was not cheap. So anytime you want to Venmo me, that'll be fine. Um, she also did a panel with Brett Iwin, who is the voice of Mickey Mouse, about their careers in Disney and chasing their dreams, which was very cool. And her whole family was there because she um, was born in Louisville and her parents grew up in Louisville, which is a hop, skip, and a jump away from Lexington if you're not from around here. Uh, so they drove over and they were all in the front seat with her uh, with her husband, which, which side note, her husband is a World Series champion pitcher mm-hmm. and he is always yeah. at all these conventions and no one even... <laughs> glances in his direction (laughs) he might as well be like the most insignificant bum off the street he gets he can walk right through the middle of the crowd it doesn't even matter which is hilarious to me i think Mm -hmm. that's so funny Mm -hmm. but um lexington was awesome martin uh is it martin cove uh sensei crease from cobra Mm. kai was also there being like very much looking the part, I have to say. Uh, he did not look super he friendly. He was wearing his gi, and he was looking okay. angry at all times. So oh. I don't know <laughs> if that's just him or if he is a method actor, staying in character 24-7. I don't know. He's but, always uh, in uh, yeah, character. Always in character. Uh, I will say nice. I they did a, like a group, uh, Motor City Comic Con a couple years ago, they, they booked... Ralph Macchio, Johnny Lawrence, uh, Billy Zabka, uh-huh. and uh, Sensei Crease all together. And they're both like Ralph Ooh. and uh, Billy are like just being normal. And he, yeah, yeah he was a sourpuss. doing his thing. Like it, at least the way he looked. I don't know. You know, he might just have resting bitch face too. A little bit. No, no shade. <laughs> That's, you know, just be you. And I am, I'm going to go back on that a little bit because this is a little bit of a funny story, but he, he did walk up to me in the autograph area, like out of his booth and asked me for a lighter. I think he was trying to go outside, have a smoke and didn't have a light, <laughs> which might've explained why he didn't look super happy. You know, he might've been. <laughs> did Jones, you have a lighter Jones. for him to use? I, I didn't, which was a shame. And I was like, I have one in my car if you want to go outside. But I brought him a lighter the next day and he said, oh, that was very sweet of you, which was is not nice. very sensei crease. And it was also like a weird thing for a, like, I don't know, 50, 60 year old man to say to me, but it was, it was cool. It was nice. <laughs> I really wish you could have been like, no, just come outside with me to my car. I've got one in my car for you. <laughs> No, he I was, was going to say that he story was a bit of a rush. Uh, I think he wasn't trying to walk all the way out to the parking lot. His car was probably that closer. story. That story could have ended way better if you just said, "Yeah, I gave him the lighter," and then he walked off, and I never got it back. I never got <laughs> so it. So he stole my lighter. No, I, I gave <laughs> him a gone. lighter the, on Sunday yeah, yeah. for for himself nice. to have. Um, you ran into um, you ran into another uh, big actor. Yeah, 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 yeah. In Lexington um, too, right? No, that was here in Cincinnati, actually, because this, this weekend, it's Tuesday right now, and this weekend that just ended was Cincinnati Comic Expo. Um, and Ross Mar- Marquand, who plays Aaron on The Walking Dead, I saw him, you know, at his booth doing his signings and things 
at the convention. And then that later that night, there was a thing downtown just out on the streets. There was an Oktoberfest festival that I went to with a couple of friends and he was just down there and I didn't even see him, but he stopped me as I was walking by and you're not going to believe this because it makes no <laughs> sense. But he was like, Hey, do you like Shrek? And I was like, wow, your prosthetic looks amazing because he got his hand cut off on the walking dead. And he was like, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> thanks. Ha ha. Do, do you like Shrek? And I was like, well, <laughs> Yeah, who doesn't like Shrek? And he looks at this girl and he goes, see, I told you. And then, I don't know, we talked about Shrek for a minute and uh, we snapped a, a selfie and we both went about our night. It was very random. but there That's was. awesome, though. Yeah. That's hilarious. Uh, a little more relevant great. to this show, though, Matt Lanter and... Um, 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 now, why can't I think of... Matt Wood? Well, yeah, and Matt Wood. That's not even who I was trying to think of. Um um, I just almost just said Ray James Plart. Arnold Taylor. <laughs> no, not James Arnold Taylor. <laughs> Darth oh, Maul. Uh, um, uh, Sam Witwer. There we go. Oh, yes, okay. I'm glad I got to that before anybody else said it. I would have felt like such a <laughs> jerk. But uh, they were all there too at in Cincinnati. Um, mm-hmm. Sam and um, um, Anakin both did a little uh, a panel. They just kind of talked about Star Wars stuff. And Sam Witwer is so passionate about Star Wars, which is awesome. He has like so much to say, and he was gushing about the Mandalorian and all that. And um, it was really cool. I got his autograph on a on a piece of art that I already had Ashley sign. I got Matt Wood to sign it as well. It's got a bunch of Clone Wars stuff on it. Actually, I'll I'll post that on Instagram because it's cool. Very cool. Yeah, it was nice. fun. It's fun two weekends. Fun adventures. Yeah, I was going to say fun adventures at uh, Comic-Cons over those two weekends. Um, mm-hmm. Did it seem pretty, was it pretty safe? Everybody masked There was up required masks and- for everybody okay. at both of them. Um, all of the autograph signings, they were behind plexiglass. So you could like pass stuff mm-hmm. under for them to sign and you could talk to them. Um, but they were blocked off. Even cosplayers which this is a little different than what they said at Celebration. I think at Celebration, the current rule or the first rule they posted, um, all subject to change, was no helmets or anything like that. Um, But at the two Mm -hmm. I went to, they allowed cosplay, but people still had to wear masks. So it was kind of funny to see people pop off their like Mandalorian helmet and have their uh, whatever surgical mask Mm -hmm. on underneath. But people, everybody was following the rules as far as I could tell, which was... Um, good. A couple of the photo ops, like p- actual paid professional photo ops, even had plexiglass in between. They gave people the option hmm. to opt out of that when they announced who was doing it. Yeah. Okay. Any really yeah. cool cosplays while you were there? Always. There was uh, Mandalorian mercs at both that all looked mm-hmm. amazing. There was a there. I think there was a lot of the same people at both because Lexington and Cincinnati are only about an hour away from each other. Um, there was. Uh, scout troopers there was lots of ahsokas um i saw a season seven clone wars first half jumpsuit ahsoka cosplay which i haven't seen in person yet there's probably not tons and tons of them out there but the official name for that is uh spice girl ahsoka spice girl Ahsoka. sorry thank you uh spice girl ahsoka cosplay that was good um, yeah, I, I, think I took a picture Skywalker with Skywalker Academy Ahsoka. Hmm. Yeah, that that too. Spice Girls is more funny though. I yes. 
especially with Sporty Spice on Dancing with the Stars now. It's kind of a, uh, Martin Cove was also on Dancing with the Stars, that. from what I understand. Coming full circle. I feel like mm-hmm. I got a. I feel like I got a picture with. Um, call me Snips in the. She had the jumps like the McKenna mm-hmm. work clothes so. on, but maybe not. Maybe it was somebody else. No. It's possible. That would have had well, to have been cool. pretty recent, though. That show's only been out for a little while. That's about true. About a year now. Yeah. Well, very cool, Kyle. Glad you got yeah, to uh, get out Glad and uh, experience the two cons back to back. That's a lot of conning. Yeah, it was a lot in, of money uh, too. Um, you yeah. know, driving to <laughs> Lexington and buying autographs and photo ops and stuff. But yeah, it was good. It was well worth it. Good money well spent. Very exciting. Very exciting. Well, we've got uh, something really, really exciting to share with everybody right now. Um, we have teased this now for a couple times on both the podcast and the live stream. We had the amazing opportunity to interview the one and only Kevin Scott, author of Rising Storm, Yay, author woo. of a billion things going on right now with High Republic, the comics. Um, just an absolute, absolute treat to have him on this show and we are happy to share that interview with you now. So here we go. Joining us today, everybody, is a, a, a very popular author, comic writer, screenwriter, super hot right now in the world of Star Wars, uh, has written for a ton of stuff, not only Star Wars, but for DC, Sherlock Holmes, Doctor Who, Angry Birds, and even a Transformers Angry Back Birds. to the Future crossover series, which is awesome. Um <laughs> He is uh, author of The Rising Storm, High Republic comic series, Monster of Temple Peak, and uh, Life Day Treasury. The man not only who likes to go your favorite character, but also your second favorite character as well. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Kevin Scott. Woo! Yes. Thank you very much. I, I've got, I'm starting to get a reputation. I can see that. Um, you know, you I've are. Got quite a bloodthirsty reputation at that. <laughs> but it's like a it's good a hurt. Heartbreaker. You hurt us, but it's a good hurt. Yeah, there's a reason for the hurt. I'm not just doing it out of malice. You know, exactly. So, so, there, there was always good reason behind it. I know. Hopefully, it's not just hurt as well. Yeah, but that's what creates compelling stories. You got to take exactly. the the hurt with the good. You have to have both. Otherwise, it doesn't. Uh, these stories would be really short. If that was exactly. the case, so. <laughs> when it, when we were starting this, and everyone was saying, "And you know, it's just going to be about where's the war in Star Wars this, in this area?" I was, you know, is it? It's going to be a very short um, series if we just have the Jedi going around going, "Oh, it's all all right, isn't it? Everything's okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. um, it's all quite peaceful." Um, here, have a pastry. <laughs> um, you know, we couldn't just leave it at that. It's the uh, mm-hmm. the meme with the dog with the fire all around him, and like, this is fine. Yeah, this is fine. fine. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> right. So speaking of of we this entirely new Star Wars universe that that mm-hmm. you and your fellow authors have created, uh, yes. what is it like trying to come up with new content for a world that is large? I mean, it has a ton of stuff going on. What when you guys got into that room? What was it like coming up with new worlds, new characters? All of the content we've read so far, the ships, mm. all of that. What is it? What describe that process a little bit and how you guys came up with some of the stuff that you did? Well, it was incredible. And it, I mean, it, in some ways, it was incredibly daunting. In other ways, it was a complete honor because but we were being tasked to come up with our own little corner of a galaxy far, far away. And part of the issues I think we've had with Star Wars publishing over the last few years is they have largely been tied into 
films that are coming out, TV shows that are coming out, games that are coming out, which means you are limited in your choice. And so part of the idea behind this entire initiative was to create a part of Star Wars where all bets were off that, I mean, Charles mentions this quite a lot when he, he's interviewed about the High Republic, but when you're, when you're dealing with Luke, we know where Luke's story starts and we know where Luke's story ends. And mm -hmm. with this, we wanted a, a, a part of the universe where, yeah, it was brand new characters. So you didn't know where their stories were, were, would end up. You didn't know where it was going to go. And it, it gave us a freedom to, to be a little bit more creative without having to work within um, the boundaries of other media as well that are going on elsewhere within Star Wars. Um, and of course, when we first sat in that room, it wasn't the High Republic. It, you know, it was it, the idea was we we were going to sit there in in that first week at Skywalker Ranch and come up with an era that we could talk about. Um, and at the same time, we were told lots of things were happening. This was before Rise of Skywalker. This was before Mandalorian. Um, and there was this wonderful little. Um, briefing session where they blew all our minds with everything that was coming over the next couple of years, which was also largely don't go here, come up with something else. Um, and and one of the ideas that we were ready to discuss was a baby Yoda idea. So that got blew out the water immediately. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yeah, exactly. Um, it, meant, it meant we were on the right lines. Um, and so, so, yeah, so the joy of it was that everything was going to be fresh. Um, and, and again, that we we could we weren't going to be restrained the flip side of that is actually it's quite scary when you realize there are no boundaries um the only boundaries you have is how the force works how the jedi work and of course at that point we didn't even know it was going to be jedi um so it is a real mixture of you feeling very honored but also you, you realize that you have the weight of everything that's come before you on your shoulders and especially for someone like me who grew up with star wars and grew up the expanded universe um i was just suddenly very aware of what this was going to mean um and so so yeah so there were, it was a mixture of emotions back at, back in the early days nice so you you mentioned that at the very beginning the project luminous it wasn't even high republic yet that mm. you were still fleshing it all out and and obviously we ended with a few hundred years before any known timeline that we had did it. Uh, what else was kind of thrown out there? Was there, was uh, hundreds of years in the future of what we know or, or anything like that ever discussed? How, how did it get to this timeline? Every possible scenario was discussed that week. Um, and so <laughs> then we discussed the future, we discussed the past. Um, there was lots of moments when we touched on other things that were happening in Star Wars and suddenly Story Group had to go into a little corner and talk amongst themselves and come back and say, <laughs> how much can we tell them? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, uh, and the idea was that all five of us would, in the period of the week, come up with one idea that we would champion, we would then take away, we would write up, um, and then would be sent in and would basically be given to Kathy. And then and that would be the final final choice. And so we found out, I think, we were all leaving for our second week. Um, I was just about to leave for Heathrow to fly over to the States again. Um, and as I was leaving the house, we got a call saying which one of the pitches that um, got through and, and, and there was oh. the high republic and so then for that second week we took that idea and pulled it apart and then and put it back together and we did take elements of the other ideas as well um and so, i've said this before but a lot of the other ideas are hinted at in dooku jedi lost because at that point i didn't know which one of the five were gonna, was going to be um mm. 
was going to become um, what we were going to be working on. So I put Easter eggs in for everything um, to try and cover all, <laughs> cover bases. all the bases. <laughs> so, yeah, so later on I could go, and there you'll see the first reference to. Um, and I know that um, Claudia did the same with Master and Apprentice as well. So there is, if you, when you go back and listen to Dooku in a few years' time, after a few years of High Republic, you'll see a lot more things in there that, that will relate to stuff um, that, that's coming up. But then you'll also, you won't know it, but you'll, you'll hear, <laughs> you'll see stuff that, or hear stuff that relates to the other sort of lost project. Left on the cutting well. room floor. Yeah. But I mean, to be fair, a lot of, some of the stuff from the other ideas has now gone into the High Republic. Um, some of that stuff may yet still see form um elsewhere and so i can't really go into too many details because <laughs> i know that you know you never want to say tell all all your failed ideas and not failed's not the right word or all your abandoned ideas because you will always return to them and i know some of those other ideas we discussed in those weeks will see the light today but in a different different form excellent now you're writing high republic stories in multiple different mediums how do you mm -hmm. balance writing novels comics audio dramas kind of all at the same time um, <laughs> with difficulty, <laughs> difficulty some days. Um, I mean, largely, it's funny because a lot of stuff's come out over the last few months, and I'm getting a lot of comments from people. When do you sleep? Um, and that <laughs> has been a problem at times. But of course, that the work that's coming out now has been spaced over a couple of years. So you know, um, I try and make it that I'm not bouncing from one one thing to a, to another um, too much because it becomes becomes too fragmented and you can lose track but the good thing is the flip side of that is that when you're working on so I, I was working on the marvel series and the rising storm at the same time and the life day treasury um at the same time so it was the good thing about that is when i was getting down you know there were days when working on the rising storm when you know writing a novel is a big old thing you feel like you're in the mire a little bit and so on days like that i could say right i've still got time i'm going to put a line under that today and I'm, tomorrow I'm going to work on the comic. And then when I returned to the rising storm, it felt like I'd had a, almost like a palate cleanser um, and I can get back into it. So one of the, I love the fact that I work in different media because it means you can do that. You can, um, I had something today, not working on a star Wars thing where a story just wasn't working because some days that's just what happens. Um, so I have just decided, right, I'll walk away from that. I'll, look at something else and tomorrow I'm going to come back to it afresh. So having all these different media within the High Republic is a way of keeping your excitement as a creator uh, about mm -hmm. it because you can move from one area to another. Um, and yeah, and that's something I've always enjoyed and what I've tried to build into my career. So I have that um, sort of baked into what I'm doing at all times. To go, to go along with Maggie's question with the writing technique, one of the mm. things that I noticed in your profile was you wrote a lot of uh, choose your own adventure books. And <laughs> yes. for me, that's like the stuff that like I grew up reading, you know, through the eighties, it was like, yeah. it, they were fun to read because you could go back and pick a different. Oh, path you do both. Yeah. And you got multiple reads out of it. Is that a, a, a much different process than when you're writing the, the novel where you have a very clear, maybe start and end and where you want to go versus this, where you've got two identical storylines going on at the same time and, and readers ultimately are going to go different paths. Well, it was a process I didn't know how to do when I was first commissioned to write the Choose Your Own Adventure books for Star Wars. Um, originally, those books weren't Choose Your Own Adventure. They were going to be standalone, that. standalone <laughs> stories. And then right at the last minute, there was one of those moments when you get an email going, good news, 
we've decided to make this choose your own adventure and i go brilliant how do i do that um and obviously i didn't say that out loud i went oh that's great I, yeah that'd be no problem at all and then i had a panic um and basically had to reverse engineer um, a choose your own adventure book and work out how it how it works. Um, now I read them when I was a kid. We had a series of books over here called Fighting Fantasy, which mm -hmm. were um, sort of Dungeon Dragon desk sort of uh, um, game books um, around the time that D and D was becoming really popular back in the eighties. And they were terrifying, actually. I mean, some of those things. My love of horror and, and macabre, I think, comes a lot from those books because. They should never have been put in a child's hands. After that. Um, <laughs> you they were name. This sounds interesting. <laughs> well, you know, when you have you open them up, and this is a kids' book published by a kids' publisher, and the, the third choice you make leads you to where you've got three corpses hanging from nooses um, and trying oh my to catch you. <laughs> That's a kids book. Kids Welcome book. to yeah. Welcome yeah. to how we treat our children. Um, and <laughs> this was the seventies and eighties when most children's TV over here um, was aiming to scar people of a certain generation. Um, but anyway, I love those, and I used to Hoover those up. But I hadn't really thought about it. It's, it's something that I'd thought about. You know, I'd always wondered how they did it, and I would mm. like to have done it. I didn't expect to have to learn so quickly. Um, so I literally pulled a book, um, took one of the old copies. Um, and then pulled it to bits, literally pulled it to bits and laid it out and worked out how they do the paths. Um, and yeah, I mean, you, you literally run it like flow diagram. You have, there is a canon path through all of those books. So mm -hmm. there is an actual story that you have to tell. And then the fun point is working out how you go off and do other things and, and perhaps bring yourself back to the canon path or take yourself off into a into a, a path that won't end well for anyone um it means you can do fun things so i could blow up yeah. the millennium falcon on multiple <laughs> occasions i could kill r2d2 which is something you can never do How um, dare you, you know That's i could funny. kill luke um in, in a very child-friendly way um <laughs> and that's part of the fun of those things because it you is. know you know, you can you can do things that you'd never be able to do anywhere else. So they are the, the ultimate what if. And I have not read these yet, but I've got to go back and check them out. But it is no holds barred here with Kevin Scott in these. these <laughs> I love this. This is great. Kill Luke, but in a child friendly way is the name of the episode. <laughs> I, think so. I think it has to be. <laughs> Oh, you mentioned the paths of creating mm. these create your own adventures, mm. but that made me think of the Nile, which uh, are definitely like my favorite characters in the High Republic. I don't believe um, you. <laughs> I know, shocking. Um, but when Project Luminous, uh, when the team was developing the Nile, yeah. were there any very specific like inspirations that you know sparked their inception? Well, it's interesting. So the original idea for the Nile came from Charles, um, and it was through talking about. Um, like pyramid schemes and things and scams. <laughs> and, and, um, and so if you look at the, the way the, the Nile structures, it is actually quite pyramid schemey. Um, and, and that was the, that was the spark of the conversation. And then they went beyond that because we were looking at what kind of enemy the Jedi should have in this era um, mm -hmm. and how to make them different from the first order or, or the, um, the empire or indeed the sith as well you know where there is definite structure there is definite hierarchy um so we were looking at um chaos agents and we were like what would a entire legion of chaos agents look like you know because the trouble with anarchists is that they're not very good at working together in an organization so we mm -hmm. had to work out a way of having our cake and eating it um and so yeah from those two conversations that was the way um that we started 
to develop the Nile. I, I think Space Vikings was thrown were thrown into it quite early on. I've got a, a, a love. I've been a Viking geek all my life. Um, ever since a school trip to an old sort of Viking settlement here in the UK. And so um, I jumped on that as soon as that was mentioned. And, and yeah, it sort of snowballed from there, really. And it was one of those great moments where, and it's the true nature of working in a collaboration like this, when it wasn't, you know, it was someone's idea and then that sparked off something and everyone brought something that led to the Nile, which hopefully means that they do seem and like an original baddie and not just a hotspot they do. ideas because we tried to the hardest then to make it work and again that was part of the, the challenge and there was the fun so it was like how do we take these pyramid schemes vikings <laughs> chaos agents I love that. um and hyperspace and 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 mold them into into a villain um and and yeah and, and that was the origin of them um but yeah so originally it, it all sort of stems from from charles's charles's idea uh, of of how we could take something that we were reading in the papers at the time and sort of um, turn it into a, a right at large across the galaxy. Martian Row runs in an MLM. Good to know. Well, you, can, you can see it happening. Don't oh, you? it's totally yeah. accurate. Yeah. It's so. They all started with essential oils, and look how they ended up. <laughs> <laughs> Dark path. Yes. Well, I guess that kind of brings us to Lorna D a bit as well. With mm. Tempest Runner coming out, we got to see yeah. so much of her backstory. Um, and she has a very tragic one. Uh, yeah. Were there any like inspirations for her backstory? Because it's a bit, I was kind of shocked. I was like, this makes so much sense about why she is the way she is. Well, I think part of it was, it came from the question, why does she name her ship the Lorna D? which originally was just a cool thing she did. Um, and so when we were discussing the character, it's why I kept coming back to it. It's like, well, why would she do that? Why would she think it's so important where everyone just has these cool names for her ship? Why is she naming it the Lorna D? And, you know, and there were suggestions, well, she does it because she doesn't care about the name. She doesn't want, you know, there's no point giving it any fancy name because it's just the Lorna D, it's who she's announcing her presence. Um, I was like, yeah, but then it has to be a reason why she would keep announcing her presence. You know, there's a reason why she's fighting in this world. And she seems quite, she can't seem quite um, apart from a, from a lot of it as well in, in mm -hmm. Light of the Jedi when Charles was writing those early passages, there was the other Tempest Runners and there was Roe. And she always seemed a little bit um, like she'd taken a step back or she wasn't allowing herself to really get involved with the wider scheme of things. And so again, I just kept asking why, why, where does this come from? Um, and yeah, and that sort of turned into the story that she's constantly been putting on masks and it was all linked into that conversation of, you know, why they all wear masks, which was, you know, we, we knew they wanted to wear masks. That in itself led to the idea they used gas and that, you know, so we wanted to find a story reason that they would wear masks other than the fact they just look cool. Um, you know, so we wanted to find it in there and, and what that would mean for these central characters when they take them off, you know, why they put them on. And with Lorna, it all just seemed to chime that she's sort of, she's been trying her entire life of trying on these different masks, trying to work out who she is. Um, and she's almost a flip side to the character of Keeve, who I was writing in in the, in the Marvel comics, who is also trying to work out who she is and what her part in the in the Jedi Order is. And Lord obviously takes a very different, has a very different journey to, to answer that question. And I don't think she's yet really worked out who Lorna D is. Um, but yeah, so that's where it all came from. It came from the moment that Charles named her ship the Lorna D, and I just kept asking why, 
um, and and all her story sort of like evolved from there. I felt like it was really refreshing in that book. I, you know, I said I had a question about this, but I'm realizing it was mm. just kind of a comment. <laughs> but I thought it was. I feel like so often in Star Wars and in other media, we see like villain, and then they get a they have a tragic backstory, they get a chance mm. at redemption, and then they take it, and now they're a good guy. You know, Darth Revan, mm. Darth Vader, Kylo Ren, and a lot of times they die right after they become good. And you have Lorna has this opportunity to become good, and then she's like, no, screw it. I'm still Lorna D. I'm not, you know, yeah. I'm not doing that. I'm just going to be who I am, and I'm not going to. And that worry was about exactly it. that was exactly um, part of my reason for for putting that hint of redemption in there. Because I, one thing I do, I would love to explore more in Star Wars is the idea of the of the consequences of actions. Because quite often, as you say, we like Anakin has, you know, yes, he he returned to the light in the end, but he didn't have to deal with the fact that, you know, of everything he's done up to that, up to that mm. point. And, and we've sort of seen that as, again with Ben. And so I wanted a character who would have that moment, who, you know, uh, of saying, I can go this way or that, and choosing to remain on the path she's been on. Um, and the path that seems to have been forged by so many other people as well that have ended up with, with her being there. And now she's embraced it and she's gone, no, do you know what? You've, You've made me a monster, so therefore I'm going to be a monster. And of course, the good thing about this is that just the beginning of Lorna's story as well. So mm -hmm. we, we've now got the opportunity to explore what that means for her as she has actually, for the first time, really sort of taken this by the ball by the horns and going, no, this is who I am. We'll be able to see how that goes for her. Um, and then also what happens after that. And I think Lorna's story is going to be really interesting for people. I hope it is anyway, because it is going to have a, a major part in, in the High Republic going forward um, and how she copes with the, the the consequences of her actions on both sides with both the Nile and also the Jedi. I mean, she's already had like a double-double cross here uh, at the end of um, Rising Storm. So <laughs> yeah, she yeah, is... Exactly. Uh, she is truly a chaos agent. So she really is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we get a little bit of Yoda more so, I think, in the comics than than in the books so far. Uh, mm -hmm. He's much younger than what we know him from the original yeah. trilogy. A little whippersnapper. Yeah. Are we <laughs> going to get any additional backstories on him that might surprise us in the future or? Even perhaps like the uh, the maybe a flashback to him getting his kyber crystal because that was a apparently a big thing a, a crazy story from uh, Huyang the droid who has basically helped all of these young Padawans get their crystals and make their sabers. I think Yoda's crystal gathering days predate the um, High Republic by many many hundred years, so I'm not sure we'll quite <laughs> get to that. You know, I mean he, he's a young whippersnapper ish but he's still been around a long time um mm -hmm. i mean obviously i can't really get into what's going to happen to characters um, for, uh, and 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 what we're going to see in the future the the thing i'd say about yoda is that yoda casts as we've we've all said for a very long shadow um and so as mm -hmm. soon as yoda's in a scene it always becomes about yoda um and and quite rightly so we've definitely been planning things in for Yoda um, that are respectful of his position. Now, his position in the High Republic is slightly different because he's not the only Grand Master. He's not actually sitting on the council permanently at the minute. He's off doing his own thing. Um, 
and again, we wanted him to be active. We wanted him to be out there. We still wanted him to teach him because that's what Yoda does, and that's where Yoda is at his best. Um, but we wanted to use Yoda in a way that shows how the other Jedi um, of the of the time still rely on him, even rely on him even now. And so, one thing I, I tried to use in the Rising Storm, and I, I don't think it's a spoiler's point, you know, that Yoda at that point in, in, in the story is is not where they're expecting him to be. And I wanted that his his lack of presence, his absence, to be felt. Mm. So when Stellan finds himself in a situation, he really wishes Yoda was here because when Yoda's there there's someone who knows what's going on. Um, and so, and will we explain where Yoda is? Yes. Will we explain um, why he's disappeared? Yes. Um, <laughs> will those have things to do with his past? Maybe. Um, but <laughs> Yoda's, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> but yeah, Yoda, When he, even when Yoda's not in the room, his presence is felt. Um, and that's something we wanted to have throughout the High Republic, that he his fingerprints are all, all over everything. Um, and that all the other all the other Jedi look to him um, and he's their North Star and a lot of the time. Um, and again, it's all part of breaking down what the these Jedi, how they view the, the galaxy. They've been very good at what they do. The galaxy is a peaceful place. Um, they A lot of these Jedi have never experienced never expected to be in a situation that they are now find themselves in. Now, Yoda has been around a long time. He's seen a lot of stuff. He should be the one they all go to um, for help. And suddenly he's not there. Um, and so that is another way of pulling the rug out from beneath a lot of these Jedi who were very sure what everything was like. Um, and yeah, Yoda's a massive part of that. Nice. Well, while we're talking about Yoda here, we we mm. mentioned earlier that like it was kind of up in the air when this whole story mm. was going to take place at the very beginning. Yep. So how was it decided that the High Republic is going to be a few hundred years and Yoda is still going to be around in whatever, I guess, middle age for him rather mm. than maybe a thousand years ago or 2000 years ago when there's, it's a complete blank slate and we have no characters in common. Was there specific thought or reasoning behind that? Um, well, only because it's an era that hasn't really been explored. As soon as you go about a thousand years or 2000 years, they'll bang you're in the middle of the old Republic. So, you know, and that would bring its own baggage um, and its own expectations. And quite rightly, because the old Republic is one of the best forms of star Wars ever. Um, and, we didn't want to remake the old Republic. Um, not at this point. The whole idea was again was to do something new and and to do something that I think if we'd gone back that far, there would have been a great expectation about about what we would be doing. Um, and with that would have come um, a lot of assumptions assumptions about what we're doing as well. And so yeah, mm. two hundred years was a period that's never really been um, explored. And we know from the Old Republic um, and from, from the EU, the Old Republic wasn't exactly the golden time of the Jedi that Obi-Wan's talking about. And we did keep coming back to Obi-Wan's speech in A New Hope about, you know, um, more civilized age. Um, and mm -hmm. that, that idea that we've, we've all had, that we've all wanted to see the Jedi at their height. Um, and, no matter how much I love the old Republic, that's not the Jedi at their height. They're still going through an awful lot of, of trials. Um, 
And so again, 200 years, it, it seemed it seemed right that that was the year where we joined them. So it's not yeah. so far back that it would be a completely different thing. It's not so far back that it would step on the old Republic's toes. But also it's not quite the prequel era. Um, yeah. And, you know, and it's, it's, you know, there is still, when you watch the prequels, there's still a, that sense in the first film that you're in the end of this period, you know, that, that, you know, it's before the war started and you're seeing the glimpses of what the Republic was and we wanted to show it, you know, take a step back even further and say that this was really where everyone thought everything was good. Um, this was the Camelot, whether that's the 60s Americana Camelot or, or the Arthurian Camelot. This was the period that everyone looks back. This was the good old days um, because yeah. um, and it's it's near enough in everyone's memory and in some races, in some species, literally in their living memory of, you know, they can remember this period as a golden age because some of them experienced it, you know. So, yeah, that was that was the reasoning behind it being so so near, relatively speaking. Um, yeah. to the prequel but you know 200 years is still a long time i mean mm -hmm. the life of, of all our ancestors 200 years ago would be unrecognizable to what we live now so um that also had a bearing on it <laughs> um and you know that's something i really like about the high republic because the jedi feel like fully actualized fully formed mm. characters that are kind of dealing with this you know kind of unsettled kind of crumbling mm. at the edges. Um, and I really like the rising storm for that. All of these new characters really feel very fully formed. And you were talking about Stellan and yep. kind of wishing that Yoda was there. So in the process of creating the rising storm, how did you kind of create and develop Elzar and Stellan's respective arcs in the book? Um, it was interesting because they took on a life of their own as, as characters do sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, and, I mean, the moment happens. So everything and the way I work, I do obviously plan stuff out and outline and you have to, to work on a, mm -hmm. a project like this because of it has to go. So many people have to see it beforehand. And Elzar's, what happens to Elzar halfway through the book was always part of the plan. The, the mm -hmm. details of how, of what he does weren't necessarily there. Um, and, you know, some of the personal things that would go, that was already planned, that was already in the book, everyone knew that was happening. I knew he would have this moment where he would, spoilers, touch the dark side. Um, mm -hmm. I still didn't know at that point um, how exactly he would react because while you're obviously, you have to hit all these beats that you, you have to hit as part of a wider initiative, I wanted to leave some room to... Um, to discover as I was writing what these, how these characters would react, especially as Stellan was, I knew it was going to be a major part of it, but we've not written Stellan before. You know, Stellan mm -hmm. was someone we've teased, but this was going to be his introduction. And while we had a great sense of what Stellan is and, and, and his role in the in the Order, um, again, we'd never seen him and Elzar together. And knowing how different their personalities are, um, I was looking forward to exploring that. Um, and so the seeds of their relationship were there in the in the in the outline um the actual way it worked came out of the writing itself um and that was probably a little bit the, the most i think i've got to discovery writing within star wars um because because you can't have a lot of room for discovery usually and actually mm -hmm. this initiative has meant that we can do more of that you know we, we've got a roadmap when we have set stages we all need to hit at certain points but we're giving ourselves the chance to explore 
um, and then react to what other people are writing as well. Um, and so elves are, the moment when elves are reached towards the dark side and then decided that he needed help shocked me um and i was very glad it did because it there it meant that they went back and rewrote some of their passages earlier on that would lead to that better um because it suddenly became very important because i still in my mind knew that knew what else i would be doing i needed to work out. i couldn't see what his, his reaction was going to be and i couldn't mm -hmm. see what that reaction would be that would be different to other jedi that we've seen following the same path and again another big shadow falls at that point because we've seen one particular Jedi dance with the dark side and, mm -hmm. and fall foul of it. And so I didn't want Elzar to just be Anakin 2.0. Um, mm -hmm. And so, and I knew there was a danger of that. Uh, and so Elzar and Stellan's friendship was core to that when I was writing it, because again, I didn't want them to be Obi-Wan and Anakin. And the mm -hmm. difference is, that you know, their peers, their their brothers in yeah. in an, in another sense. You know, they grew up together. They they have had different paths, and it was so. It, I don't think uh, that book. I think it's something I will always um, remember. Is it? It was an exploration of that friendship, which I didn't necessarily know going into it, um, and I, I hope it made it stronger because it surprised me every step of the way. It 100% did. I see so many people talking about that moment because it does, it reflects off of Anakin who didn't ask mm. for help and it's, mm. it's so beautiful. Um, and then I have a follow-up question. Are we going mm. to see Samira again? I really <laughs> like that character. Like I just... I'd love to see Samira again. I, I don't know any plans personally for the projects I'm working on at the minute um, because again, you have to, you, you can't, when you're writing something like that, you want to put in every character you've loved as you've been writing it, but then the universe gets very small very quickly because everyone just pops up, you know. So, you know, I could have obviously have Samira turning up on on, on Starlight, but um, at the same point, you know, you just can't have people just following around each other. And yeah. and and also, she's got a big job to do on Valo, <laughs> you know, so Valo needs to be put back together again. And I think she is is the person to do it. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to... There are so many of these characters that I'd love to see again. Um, and, you know, some characters exist to, to tell a part of the story, just like in our lives, there are people you know at certain parts of your life and then you move mm -hmm. on. Um, but the one good thing about Star Wars is that any character can suddenly have a life of their own. And we've seen that time and time again, um, from background characters in cantinas to, you know, to people getting spin-off series that we never thought they'd get. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think there's always hope that we'll see a lot of these characters again, um, as long as the story's there. And I think that's the most important thing. There needs to be a story to tell. Maggie, were you trying to read uh, his expression to see if your theory about <laughs> like, Samira being the Nile contact? Uh, in the I Republic? have this like total conspiracy theory. I like have my board over here. <laughs> um, so, so since we're talking about Rising Storm, um, we have a lot of uh, Ahsoka fans on this podcast. We mm -hmm. love the Togruta. Mm -hmm. And I especially really loved the the Regassa, the Supreme uh -huh. Huntress mm -hmm. of the United Tribes. Mm -hmm. um, did you have any specific inspiration for that character or like any of the other details about like how the Togruta as a, as a culture are, how they interact with the Republic? It was funny because I was looking for a species that um would be very recognizably star wars who could you know might not be a part of the republic at this point um and you know not to say that they've never been part of it but i was i was looking for somewhere 
that we it would be a notable difference that people would realize we're in a different part of Star Wars history here. My first thought was the was Mon, Mon Calamari, um, and then Charles completely nicked that, <laughs> but without even knowing, because I think I was developing stuff for the Rising Storm at the same time as he was developing stuff from the Light, uh, Light of the Jedi, and he mentioned the peace treaties and that kind of thing. So I was like, well, thanks, Charles, that blows that out of the water. And so I was looking around for other characters, and you looked. I looked at the Gruta and then realized we know so little about them. Um, and they're such an important part of Star Wars because of Ahsoka, you know, and and actually, you know, they've never really been explored that much. Um, and I went back and looked through all my books and comics and whenever they have turned up and loved the, you know, the the subtle bits of world building that done in the past with them, you know, not wearing shoes when they're at home or on their home planet or those kind of things and their connection to the Force. Um, and so, yeah, it suddenly, it suddenly dawned on me. And I, I remember sending off a a note saying can i do this um expecting them to come back saying no of course not don't be silly make up someone new um and it's one of those wonderful moments when you're expecting that response and so you've got plans b c d e f g waiting um and they went no that's a great idea carry on I was like, oh really okay fantastic um and and again everyone sort of turned around and went well we don't know much about them so yeah and I tried to do it in a way that obviously that would leave breadcrumbs for other people to pick up as well. And, um, and yeah, I, I was, re I've been really glad to see how that's landed with people because, um, it's, I, I'm fascinated by them because we, you know, there's so much, you know, we know Twilights, we know, we know Huts, we know so much about a, a lot of these races and, and there's a species right in the middle of Star Wars that's still a bit of a mystery. Um, and so it was great to find that and, and be able to sort of start to carve out a little bit of that history here. I, I mean, I, I love it. It was like one of my, it was such a, with everything else going on, it was such a small part of the book, but mm. I was just like, anytime they would start talking about it or like looking at the interactions that, you know, her and her bodyguard. And I was just like, yes, give me more of this. I want to know more about this. <laughs> and also their relationship with the Jedi, because, you know, we mm -hmm. have a Tegruta as a, a, as a Jedi master, a member of the council. And so that was one of the questions we asked, well, can we have it that they're not part of the the republic but there are jedi and it was like well absolutely because the jedi aren't the republic and so you know we could have had to in the past to have a relationship with the jedi and i mean there was the little things i was putting in like the fact they call them jedi lords still you know which is again is a little bit of a, a homage from my you know from from for the um the darth bane trilogy when you've got um, jedi lords and things and 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 yeah so i like the idea that they've got this history and even before the Republic became what we now know in the High Republic. The Tegruta were there, and and hopefully we've left enough breadcrumbs. Yeah, so we don't know why they got to that point. We still don't really know in the Rising Storm. Well, we've got some ideas behind the scenes, but we don't say in the book why the Tegruta are so opposed, or some of the Tegruta are so opposed to the Republic being there. Um, you know, because it can't just be territorial. There's got to be something else to it. So, again, the, it, when you're doing these things, you start laying down these these clues and these hints knowing that something you're going to be able to return to in the future. Nice. Yeah. She was definitely a cool character. So, <sighs> uh, well you, uh, am I, am I going, what are you laughing at? Justin? No, I was laughing at Justin's sigh. Uh oh yeah. Well, he's, he's getting old. He's, I'm, I'm taking it all in. It's, it's a lot to take in. It's, it's awesome. We have a couple more questions. I think Kyle, mm -hmm. go ahead. Yeah, um, you have been a champion for the return of Jackson, who is um, uh, he's I, I, like I a, barely mention a him. Definite well, you know, cult following. 
yeah. are there are there any other EU characters that are like very near and dear to you that you would uh, love to bring back if you could? Well, I, I would have said a year ago, I would have said the Hoojibs, um, and, and, and <laughs> just to keep because I, I think I've said before in different things. You know, my first experience of Star Wars is the Marvel comics um, of the seventies, mm. so I read those before I saw any of the films. So for me, Jackson Hoojibs and, and, and everyone in that run is massively important to me. Um, while also a lot of them being slightly ridiculous, um, <laughs> and so I loved. I, I, as everyone knows, I've loved bringing Jackson back. And, you know, and part of the thing with it was when I became aware that they were going to keep letting me bring him back. Um, and it wasn't <laughs> just a one-off thing. Because um, originally that's all it was. It was eight pages and then you've had your lot, Calf, stop talking about him and get on with your job. Um, when people seemed to like it and he kept coming back and, you know, I wanted to make him a proper character, you know, which I think he, he was back in the day. But, like, the story I, I wrote for... Um, from a certain point of view, it gave us a chance to explore him more as a character. And that's why I love about these characters in Star Wars, because you, uh, on the surface, they can look absolutely ridiculous, but you can tell really strong stories. And as I always say, in the Rebel Alliance, the Admiral is a fish. Um, and so, you know, if you can believe that, and it's a line I literally gave Jackson in the, in the short story in the collection, if you can get over the fact that there's a fish in charge of the rebel fleet, surely you can get over the fact there's a giant rabbit running around with blasters. <laughs> right. um, and that's just part of, and that's the glory of Star Wars and the, the, the silliness that's in the heart of so much Star Wars as well, and the whimsy which is there and you can explore. Egypt absolutely is part of that for me. Um, but now I've, 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 I've got to be careful I don't just be the guy, I'm not just the guy who keeps bringing back these <laughs> nonsense things from the past um, and trying to make them really serious. So who else? I mean, to go from the ridiculous to the sublime, I would have to say it would be Mara Jade because Mara Jade, yes. um, you know, nice. without, obviously. Um, <laughs> I mean, but can you imagine being the person to bring back Mara Jade? That would just, <laughs> you no know. Pressure. No, no exactly. I, there was there was absolutely no pressure bringing back Jackson because no one wanted him in the first place. No, um, because <laughs> no one expected much from him, you know. And no. I don't think we expected him to be now on his fourth or fifth annual return, you know, that he's, he's coming up with. Um, so yeah, there was no expectation there with with Mara Jane. My God, there'd be a lot of expectation, and yes. so that would be incredible and terrifying in equal measures and yeah i'd love to have a go but um whoever whoever does um and i have no idea this is not speaking with any kind of knowledge this is so you're saying mara jade is definitely coming back and so <laughs> right now. i can just see the clickbait articles happening <laughs> yeah um, that's the title of the episode we are now <laughs> do not oh, worry no that's a lot of angry emails going the high republican are going to ruin that <laughs> um, can I just say no, that Jackson I, terrifies me, but I'm so happy for the people who love him. I'm terrified of rabbits. So like the oh, idea of a giant hmm. anthropomorphic Walking like, talking one. Hmm. It's terrifying, um, but it makes me so happy. In, I can't remember where it is in the British Isles, but there's one island um, where you're not allowed to say rabbit because it's seen as being bad luck. And so... Um, I'm moving there. Post yeah, yeah. I, I, can't <laughs> remember, I don't know if it's Guernsey or Jersey, but you, yeah, there's literally a place where rabbits are completely unlucky and you're not allowed to say the word. So yeah, that's absolutely in the nation for you right there. Um, but yeah, but I mean, it's so fun time, to see you know, like, these little characters come back because people are yeah. so happy about it. Yeah. yeah, you know, and it's part, and it's part, it's, it's a good, it's a fun thing to do. You know, you take something that 
loads of people, loads of people had even written off Jackson without ever, you know, reading a Jackson story because, it, you know, you know about the legacy. You've seen the skeleton in the Clone Wars, who's obviously not Jackson, um, and could never be Jackson because it's the wrong era. Um, but but I now know who that skeleton is. Um, oh. Yeah, I just haven't written that bit yet. Um, but yeah, you take those characters where there is that, you know, legacy, and it's that thing of going, I'm going to make you love them whether you want to or not. And there will be a great number of people who still won't. But um, I tell you, what, I love the fact that back when I could do conventions, um, kids would be coming up with a Jackson comic wanting me to sign because you know Aww. that's a cool thing, and that's yeah. why when we we brought him back in Star Wars Adventures, we knew that Star Wars Adventures was the absolute place for him to be because kids would just see him as a goofy green rabbit thing that was funny, um, and parents and another generation who, I mean, there's a lot of people who read. Star Wars adventures who aren't kids, we know this. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. There's also the nostalgia part of it. Whether that nostalgia is, oh my god, there's that thing that everyone hates to the, you know the people like me <laughs> who grew up reading it, you know. So um, I don't think he would have worked anywhere else. But now he seems to have had a life of it. I mean, there's an action figure. I've got an action, an action figure, Jackson, a really nice on one. my shelf. Yeah, um, that's ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous, and I love it. That it's, it's a thing, and I've also said to to Lucasfilm, I now expect a, a black series Hujib set when you've got <laughs> hundreds of the things that you can dot around everywhere. You know, like there was a little yep. Porg set. I want one of those yes. time, times two hundred, so you get two hundred <laughs> for everywhere. Oh, I love that! You can pre-order it today and expect it yeah, yeah. in about a year and a half. And there when you I go. say I, I say these things <laughs> in meetings, and a lot of eyes roll. <laughs> so, but a lot of eyes rolled when I said one day there'll be a Jackson action figure and, and there you go, go. There, there is one there exists. so out of the New Republic wave uh, mm -hmm. who's your favourite character and why oh it's really hard because you, we obviously all have our babies you know and there's certain mm -hmm. characters that we've all written um, and that other people have come up with or you've cre we've created together for me I can't think about the Republic Kai Republic without Keeve because Keeve has been such a big part of my I part of the Keeve. story. So Keeve Trannis, who um, is the main character in in the Marvel comic, um, and and because when I started this, I had no idea I was going to be writing the Marvel comic. We hadn't, didn't have assignments straight from the off. We were just creating a story, and then the assignments came. But as soon as the Marvel comic appeared on my radar, I was like, "Well, that's Keeve's story. That's where I want her." And she was there from my very first pitch for Project Luminous, um, and she's there because. When I, and again, I've talked about this elsewhere, but when I first appeared uh, 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 in that meeting room in the Skywalker Ranch of all these other people, some I knew, some I didn't, I felt completely overwhelmed and kept asking, why am I here? Have they made a mistake? Are they going to forcibly eject me any minute? Um, <laughs> and that's when I realized in that uh, first week, I want to tell the story of that Jedi, that Jedi who's sitting there going, what? Sorry, me? Um, and we've not really seen that Jedi before, you know, we've seen Jedi go through periods of self-reflection and coming of age, but we've, you know, we've never really seen that Jedi who's overwhelmed by the fact they're standing around this group of people who are incredible, um, and in the middle of a golden age, a lot of these Jedi know they're supposed to be there for a reason. They're very set and sure. And yeah, imposter syndrome is a real thing, and it's something that I was feeling quite a lot in those early days working on this project. So 
I thought if I'm gonna if I'm gonna feel it, I might as well mine it for everything I can, and um, and that's where Keith came from. Then the icing on the cake was the moment I realised that Skier was her master, um, and it became about their relationship as well. So. Keeve is my go-to answer for that. And then I take a step back and say Keeve and Skier because, um, again, I can't imagine telling the story now without them being a part of it. Yeah. There's yeah. such a fantastic part of it. I love Keeve so much. Mm -hmm. um, you've written for a lot of other IPs outside mm -hmm. of Star Wars. Are there any franchises that you haven't written for yet that you're really keen to write for? I mean, there are. And I mean, there's... I mean, so I've always got a hit list, but I think now I, <laughs> I think I've got to the point now when I, I, I'm working on a few big things, Star Wars especially, and Star Wars has taken up a lot, of, a lot of what I'm doing. I'm working for for DC on various things at the minute with DC superheroes, which again, massive part of my growing up. Um, I, you know, superheroes from both the big two um, was something I've always wanted to write. I, I, I am at the point now when I, I am, I don't. <laughs> There's only so many universes I can write for at one time, you know, without, I don't, I never mm -hmm. want it to be a case that I'm jumping one to another and I'm not giving anything to do. And, and Star Wars is such a big part of what I'm doing now that, I, you know, I have to concentrate on, on that as well. And I, I want to start spreading my ring, wings and creating my own universes as well. And that's something mm -hmm. I'm doing quite a lot at the minute. So um, there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes for, for new material that's coming from me. Um, but that's not that I'm disappearing from Star Wars or DC or any, anywhere like that uh, at the minute. So, yeah, there are absolutely, there are still things I haven't written that, you know, I would love to and I'd bite someone's hand off. But it's not something I'm really going for at the minute because at the end of the day, I'm, I'm incredibly fortunate to be playing in these sand pits that I'm mm -hmm. writing for. Yeah. Um, and I have my own stories that I, I wanted to tell. Um, started to recently with Shadow Service, which is my ongoing comic series from Vault. And there's more on the way. Excellent. Excellent. Now, this was a question we also asked Daniel Jose Older, but what are they eating at the Republic Fair? Do they have Republic Fair like funnel cake or? I have no idea what funnel cake is. What? Oh What's funnel cake? No funnel cake in England? It's fried batter with yeah. powdered sugar on top. Sugar on top and it's heavenly. Which, as we're describing, it does sound very American, but it's delicious. That, that sounds amazing. Um, well, we have butter, but we have fishes or fish, fishes? We have fish or sausages in there. Um, um, I don't know. Victoria I mean, we, sponge we, cake? We, yeah, yeah, I was going to think the most English thing I can think of now. Um, scones. Um, scones and cream. Oh, yes. Um, well, yeah, I, I, quite, I think there should be a Star, a star, um, star Wars version of Scones, actually. Um, there should be. Well, <laughs> there are, we, we have got elements, uh, you know, of um, the of food, street food that we have on in the Rising Storm. Mm -hmm. you know, there is mentioned a few times. I mean, what I'd like is the fact that if it's a true World's Fair, um, mm -hmm. that it will be, you know, everything. So there should be very British food in there, which is something we don't see enough of. Um, but mostly, I agree. you know, British I want to see a version of an English breakfast in Star Wars. And what that would be. <laughs> that um, needs to happen. A, a fry I... up. So yes. So yeah, there will be fried food probably. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the whole, the whole point of the of the. Um, hopefully, we'll be able to go back to the Republic Fair and Republic Fairs in general. I mean, hopefully, <laughs> they've just decided they're a bad idea for every every all time now. I mean, things go on. Um, one and only. Yeah, well, we we do see one sort of in in Dooku as well, which was again something mm -hmm. else. We, you know, I was putting in there for stuff we were planning. So um, hopefully, we'll be able to explore a bit more of some of those 
some of the cultures because that was the only trouble with the rising storm i did want to explore a lot more about the fair but i also knew i had to blow it up blow it up quite quickly um and so there are definitely more stories we could tell there and that would also include the food and lots of fair foods yeah uh well kevin we have it has been an absolute blast having you on the show today we we want to be cognizant of your time but we do have one more question to ask you this is the most important (laughs) question that you will find on any interview that you do from here on out um but we must know is the correct answer ATAT or ADAT? ATAT. Ah, yeah. Everyone knows that. <laughs> no hesitation. We but you've got to remember that. as well that we that we've, we were talking about this the other day because we've now got the entire Martian Markian um, thing going oh on. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, and as we all know, it's Markian, but. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but we have uh, he, we have this he wrote it, thing, Maggie. That, I know. This entire thing going on, but over here in the UK, we we pronounce things differently in Star Wars um, yes. to in the states. So when everyone sort of has a go at Landover saying Han Solo, well, that's how our the entire nation says it over here. No one says Han over here. I've had to train myself to say Han, and people over here look at me as if I've become a deviant, you know. And <laughs> Chewbacca is Chewbacca over here, you know, and and, and it's Bob Boba Fett. I'd say I now have to think because I, you know, it's like my mm-hmm. my word documents are completely confused whether I'm typing English or, or American at the rest of the time. So, yeah, I there's an entire thing I think is is baked into Star Wars, especially in between the US and UK that we things are said in different ways, and mm-hmm. so it's always been at that for me because that's just what we all called it, you know. So, yeah. well, you're yeah, an intelligent man of culture, so what, well, there you go. That yes. question is mostly a troll on me because I think it should be ATAT. One, because that's how Mark Thompson says it in the any audiobook he's ever said it in. And yeah. well, because Mark, Mark also says Martian, so you know, I mean yes. we... <laughs> He says he says Nile Hill instead of Nile as well. And and it's Nile. But um, yeah. you know, it's but I love the fact that you have this. And it's a what it's a big old galaxy. People would say mm-hmm. things in different ways. Well, that, that's I mean, you know, that... I just had that conversation. Yeah. yeah. My yeah. name's my name's pronounced Cavern, other people seem to pronounce it monster. So you know, it's, it's just the way it works. <laughs> so I, uh, you, I wasn't going to tell you this, but at my, mm. at, to make fun of myself, I want to. Since you said that, uh, the first when when this was announced and like your name kind of showed up on Project Luminous, I was calling you Kavan for like at least oh, two weeks before I realized. That does sound regal. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm cave. People call me Caven, Cavan, Kavan. I'll, I'll answer to everything. To be honest, you know, I'm, I'm not. I'm not fussy. You um, could riff off that and be like Craven the Hunter. Craven the Hunter. I like that. That's, there you that's go, good. There you you go. Know? But again, I'm getting back to this reputation that I seem to have. You know, you, you make one small character <laughs> sacrifice in a book. Um, and that's it. You're doomed for all time. You torture well, him worse you know, than any character's ever been tortured in Star Wars ever before. And people are sad about it. Whatever. That was the hardest <laughs> secret for me to keep when I was reading The Rising Storm. Because I'm in a group chat with two people who absolutely love that character. And I, I oh. got to the end of the book and I was like, and they're like, so how is it? I'm like, yeah, it's, it's good. You're going to really enjoy it. <laughs> There's the guy on, or it could be a girl, I don't know, on Twitter who, who's at Loden Great Storm. And I was like, Every yes. time we go, I'm really excited about this book, and I was going, "Oh no!" That was <laughs> one of the people are. that every time I saw their tweets, I was like, "I'm, sorry, I'm just I'm turning so, away. I see nothing." So, yeah, and there's see, the, other, but- the, 
the other the other account that's always about Athurians and you know very excited there's a Athurian Jedi and I'm going oh no and it's just like yeah <laughs> you can't you know you can't please everyone um, but this is the sad fact um, we all knew that was happening from the early days of planning this you know this was yeah. this one time I just woke up one day and going I know what I'm going to do I know I'm going to kill <laughs> um, Loden's fate was set was sealed the very first. Day he breathed, he breathed, oh. uh, he breathed life. It was, it was um, such a glorious death, too. I mean, that yeah. that was mm-hmm. you didn't do it just to hurt us, it had a meaning. No. no, I think probably what I did that the original plan was for Bell to find him on the ship and find oh. us. Mm. Um, and I thought we couldn't just do that for two reasons. Um, I wanted to give a moment when they were back together because I wanted to pull, totally pull the rug out of people's feet. 10 pages later but um it to me it didn't it didn't feel like it had the punch to it for bell you know because that's mm-hmm. the most important thing here is that bell really needs you know, is, is a pivotal part in his story it's a pivotal part in the high republic because again people i keep saying this but the high the rising storm is like the beginning of you know it's it's, it's going into act two you know so the mm-hmm. the light of the jedi and that first entire first wave is the pre-title sequence you know the rising storm was the catalyst for everything that happens later. And Loden's sorry for anyone who's not read it because you're getting massive spoilers <laughs> there. But what happens to Loden is the turning point for everything. And so it was very, very um, you know, carefully planned and engineered that that would happen. And it was we always knew going into it that at the end of the second book in this in this phase, that's when it happens. And so so yeah, I just obviously I did try and make sure it had as much punch as possible because it, I knew it would have to land because you didn't want to just get to the end of the book and go, what now, what, hey, sorry, where's, have they not printed the last chapter? Um, so I knew that, you know, I had to really lean into it. But yeah, it's, sometimes you have to do bad things to characters. Um, but I'm not going to do that to every character that comes on my phone. <laughs> <in my life. laughs> We're going to leave that for some of the, some of the other authors not. are going to get that yeah. brunt. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm well, so looking forward to to wave three coming out because then I can breathe a sigh of relief and go, "It's your turn now. I've done my bit." Take well, it on. I, I do appreciate that you gave us that feel good moment before you before you took it away. But at the same time, I think the thing a good thing to remember is that even though you're getting some like extreme emotional response from fans i think that's also like a pat on the back to the to the authors that you created in in two books time you created this character that people like had such a connection to that they're they're this distraught when something bad happens you know the the relief is real because we knew we were gambling on you know because let's face it these books have only been out since january so to get the response we're getting is incredible and yeah, we knew we wanted to hit the ground running with it. And we knew there was a talk about when that point would happen. You know, is it the end of book three? Is it, you know, whatever. And it was like, no, we need to go with it early because it's the turning point, because it's the catalyst, because it's the exciting instant for everything that happens afterwards. But yeah, we're going, you know, will people, because let's face it, Loden's in the first book mm-hmm. and that's it. Um, and so I think it's testament to Charles as well that he created this character that people were waiting to see. Um, and I think it's because we didn't have him turning up everywhere as well, because people, you know, probably had their expectations and their own theories about what was happening. Um, and so, so yeah, but there was a, we did breathe a collective sigh of relief when it, it landed and it, and it seemed to go well, because it could have been, it would have been awful if everyone just read it on gum and 
that would have been we would yeah. all be going oh okay we need to do something else now then no one would have been safe then it would have been yeah. like right then the knives are out um, but no it's um it was yeah so it was always part of the plan and we're so relieved that people even though i know we've scarred people for life in a lot of ways um <laughs> you know I, I, we're not monsters i promise you no, no, it's okay. And I think we said that in the mm. beginning. We appreciate mm. those authors that take that risk and put it out there for the people to read and, and not play it safe all the time. I think that's um, that's huge in the world of Star Wars and that creates compelling story that everybody loves to read. So, And it all comes back to that first question you asked me, you know, why, you know, what's it like to, to carve this new corner of mm -hmm. the galaxy is like well it gives us the chance to do things like that yeah. because we wouldn't have been able to in any other part of star wars storytelling at the moment um so yeah it's it's a great honor to be able to do it here yeah excellent it's a little harder to kill chewbacca later on than uh than, i mean people have done it before let's i mean it, you know. somebody who did crash the <laughs> yeah. moon into all it like, takes a moon though you know yeah um, <laughs> and people were not happy about that either oh, and they're no. still oh, not yeah that's no. been decanonized and people still are mad about it <laughs> yeah, yeah so well i um, mean the one thing you gotta remember is you can't please everyone and i think you know, no. something we, we all learn very quickly when we do this job is that no. um you know, people will be angry about things, and sometimes you go, "Yep, I acknowledge that. I know why you're angry. I've just got to get on and do my job now." Um, yeah. And so, whether that's crushing a moon into a beloved character, I don't know. But you know, I've never quite got to that point yet. Um, yeah, I think. Yeah. Well, I think you know they've done a moon. I probably have to do an entire planet. So let's see who, who we can throw. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> you heard it here first. We know he can't kill Yoda. Remember, we know he can't kill Yoda. So Yoda is safe. Planet Death upcoming. Uh, well, Kevin, it has been a, a, just a treat having you on the show today. It's been fantastic. Um, where can our listeners find you at? Where can they follow you? Is there anything that you want to put out there to promote right now? Um, yeah, you can find me on my website, kevinscott.com, and on Twitter far too much, at Kevin Scott. Um, Within Star Wars, the it's been a, a, a couple of months of like every week I've got something new coming out, which is crazy. And also, I, don't, mm -hmm. I just don't know what to say at this point. Um, the one thing I suppose I'm really proud of at the minute is the um, Life Day Treasury, because it's something that um, I've been wanting to do for a while. And again, been knocking down the door saying, please let me do a Christmas book. Please let me do a Christmas book. Um, and then Mike Seglain eventually said yes, and then made it even better by bringing in saying, why don't you write it with your best friend? Oh, okay then. Um, so... <laughs> George and I have written this um, collection of Life Day stories um, from around the galaxy, and that's out now. And I hope, obviously, it's a little bit early. It's never early, too early for Christmas. But, you know, it's a, a, hopefully a book lots of people will pick up this this um, winter, fall of winter. Um, and, yes, yeah, it's, it's the one I'm probably, for all the High Republic and all the, you know, the fanfare about that, it's probably, it's just a li this little book that I'm very proud of that I hope people will pick up. Great. Okay. Great. Okay. Kevin, thanks again. It has thanks been having awesome me. having you on. Uh, as always, I guess we put it out there. May the force be with you. May the force be with you. Always. We are the you, for light and life, probably. Yeah. Well, yeah. someone else will say it. Come on. <laughs> yes. The Nile are right. That's my thing. <laughs> Ride the yes. storm. You're all clear, kid. Now let's blow this thing and go home.
we hope that you guys enjoyed our interview with Kevin Scott as much as we did. Uh, I am impressed we had him for as much time as we did. Super that was gracious. awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, tons of information that he dropped uh, in the interview about the books and what went into that writing process and the characters that we've we've gotten to know and love uh, in these High Republic books. So. It was super awesome to have him on. You can find Kevin Scott uh, on Twitter at Kevin Scott. You can also go to his webpage, which is KevinScott.com. Pretty simple. It's all over those. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah he's, everything he's done is listed on his website. Um, he's got just a ton it's of a stuff, a ton of comic yeah. stuff on there, too. So go check it out. Um, pleasure having him on. My name is Justin. You can find me on Twitter at IamTheBendu. Where can they find you guys at? This is Josh. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Battle of Tanab. Uh, this is Kyle. Thanks for tuning in to Kill Luke, but make it kid friendly. Uh, you, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at KB underscore legend or Venmo. You know, whatever. Uh, and I'm Maggie. You can follow me on Twitter at Maggie of the Town. And if you want to drop me some Venmo to uh, get my Hayden Christensen yeah. autograph, you can do that. Uh, my link wagon. is actually in my link tree. <laughs> <laughs> we're all saving all right, for guys. celebration here chip in if you if you guys enjoy that interview you know somebody that loves Kevin Scott tell them to tune in and listen to it because it was a fun fun interview to do we thoroughly enjoyed it as always may the force be with you for light and life always. yeah Ride Maggie said for light and life what what is happening I like flip flopper over here <gasps> like to keep it fresh Gotta keep you guys on Cats your Cats and dogs living together. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, y'all. We love you. Bye. Love your shirt, by the way. Fantastic Thank you very much. Shirt. Yes. This was the shirt I was going to wear on the um, when we were doing videos to, to announce. And, and I suddenly thought, as a writer doing the Stu thing, saying I'm in it for the money is not really the message you want to get. <laughs> 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 I, I, I did change very quickly. <laughs>